Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for those speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Andrea Bean. Hi, my name is Andrea, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Andrea. I'd like to thank Martha for inviting me to come out and participate in my recovery. And I'd like to welcome all the newcomers here tonight. There were a lot of you. This is a great, great organization. I just love Overeaters Anonymous. And a happy birthday to Susan. Um, you know, my abstinence date is April 2nd, 2013. So I have about a year and seven months of um, abstinence. And yesterday was my second Halloween. I hope everyone enjoyed it. A nice Halloween. <laughs> yesterday was my second abstinent Halloween. And I was just really reflecting on that all day and thinking, I can't believe I've gone through two Halloweens without eating Halloween candy. For me, that is a miracle, you know. Um, I, I think back about to when I was a little kid, and I just, like, one of my very first memories is that Halloween pumpkin, and not the kind that you carve, but the kind that holds your candy, <laughs> that I had this obsession, and I remember my family actually used to have to take it away from me, because I would not stop eating it, and my dad, um, this is the 70s, so my dad would take the pumpkin, and we had those little, like, plant hangers on the ceilings, he would hang my pumpkin up on one of those hooks on the ceilings, and I remember just sitting there and staring at it, and just this, like, round globe, you know, of, of Everything was there, and we would do everything we could to try to get the candy out. You know, we would climb on top of chairs, and my brother and I both. And then he did actually figure out how to get it down. He brought out a like a broom, and like we knocked it off, you know, <laughs> and ate all the candy and, and made ourselves sick. Um, and <laughs> I was also thinking about this speaker that I heard say that, um, you know, this is the. Um, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and uh, Christmas are like the Bermuda Triangle for compulsive overeaters. And I don't know if that's true, but I, I don't think I've been here long enough to know that. But I see that these holidays really, you know, can bring up a lot of emotions and a lot of expectations. And for me, those are things that I ate over, you know. Although I didn't wait for holidays. You know, I needed more instant relief <laughs> all the time. So I was a daily overeater. I have some pictures that I think are being passed around. Oh, good. To show you what it was like. Um, I came here into the program about, I don't know my exact top weight. I think I was around 260 pounds. Um, the, the highest weight that I can see on uh, paperwork from a, a doctor's visit was about 253. So I'll say that's like my the top weight that I have on record. And I'm down about, um, about 79 pounds now. So I, I feel um, I've had the physical recovery, but for me, um, the spiritual and the emotional recovery is everything, you know. I'm one of these people that just did not know how to do life, you know. When I think back to being this little kid that was obsessed with candy, I just was always afraid. I was always very... Um, very anxious, very tightly wound. I just, like, I just didn't know how to do it, you know? And I was I was always afraid. I was afraid of the other kids in school. I was afraid of my family. I just felt like I knew something was wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. And for me, my very first escape, um, besides candy, because I wasn't always able to get it, was books, you know? I would escape into reading. I always had a book with me, and I would just, uh, I would read during, like, nutrition at school. I would read during lunch. I was afraid to talk to the kids, so I was always kind of a loner, and I just had my books that would save me, you know, and um, I also, 
I also would eat, you know. I, I didn't eat a lot. I was, I was not a heavy kid. I was really skinny because I didn't like regular food. I only liked candy up until, <laughs> <laughs> up until I was about 11 or 12. That was all my parents could really get me to eat. And I, I remember, like, hiding food and giving it to the dog and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted candy. And I would do everything I could to get it, you know. I, I got in trouble a lot over my candy obsession because I would steal money from my parents. You know, they had this big sparklets jar of uh, empty one that they filled with chains change and I would you know pour it out and then I also <laughs> I was smart enough to like take all the quarters and then I would sprinkle some back on the top so they wouldn't notice that you know <laughs> I just don't a time and I would run down to the store and buy my candy and, and hide it um, I also remember very vividly um, I think I had to be in kindergarten or first grade I remember stealing money and roller skating down to a very popular donut place and it was probably a couple of miles away so I don't know I was like seven maybe when I was doing this and I I didn't buy one donut I bought you know a, a dozen and I remember roller skating home with carrying this box of donuts and I got caught a family member caught me before I actually got to my room and uh, I was <laughs> I was in big trouble I was grounded you know and I remember a lot I remember a lot of things but the thing that bothered me the most was that I didn't get my donuts you know they were taken away and I was so upset about that um, and I just remember, what else? There were a lot of things. I would sneak down to the ice cream store. I would sneak down to liquor stores. Uh, at this age, it was just candy. Later, it was alcohol. You know, <laughs> but I was always uh, sneaking around trying to get what I felt like I needed to just kind of get through life. You know, um, I I feel like very early on, I was a kind of an isolator before I knew what isolating meant. You know, I I was reading my books. I was afraid that something was wrong with me because I just felt so disconnected from other people. I remember looking at people at school or the kids at school and they were having these easy conversations with one another and laughing and joking and I wanted that so desperately. I wanted to be a part of and I didn't know how to do it. You know, I just always felt like it was some kind of a dance step but I didn't know the dance moves too and I, I was just so self-obsessed and I started to think that maybe because I was so different that maybe I was crazy and I started to believe as a little kid that I might be crazy. So my solution to that was to not speak. And so I would not speak to other people as much as possible because I thought that the less I spoke, the you know, less chance I had of them finding out how crazy I am. So I kind of lived in this my own little bubble for a really long time. Um, I remember food being a, a salvation for me. You know, my parents got divorced when I was... I started putting on weight when I was about 10 or 11. My parents got divorced and my mom was dating. And uh, she had this boyfriend that would bring over ice cream every time he came to see my mom. <laughs> and uh, to, to take her out for a date. And he didn't just bring a pint or a scoop. He brought a gallon of, of Baskin-Robbins mint chip ice cream. I hope it's okay to mention this, but that was my, my second obsession. And so I remember, you know, like plopping down in front of the TV and just getting a spoon and eating this gallon. And he would see her a couple of times a week, maybe three times a week, and he brought ice cream every single time. And I just adored this guy. He was my favorite boyfriend. <laughs> So around that age, I discovered um, the combination of fat and sugar. You know, before it was only sugar that I wanted. But now I started liking cakes and, the, you know, cookies. And I had this obsession with cookie dough. And so I would go in the middle of the night and I would make the cookies. But I wouldn't bake them. I would just take the dough into my bedroom and eat it, you know. And that followed me all my life. I mean, even as an adult, I would go and buy the dough and just eat that, like, on its own without baking it. That was one of my favorite binge foods. Um, so I started gaining weight, and by the time I was uh, around 12 or 13, I was was fairly heavy. I wasn't obese, but I was much bigger than the other kids in school, and I felt uncomfortable about it. 
and I started to diet at that point. You know, I would, I, I guess it was more restricting. Like I would have one apple a day and run and jog around the track, and then, you know, I would binge and then I would, you know, restrict. And and then I asked my mom if she would take me to um, the doctor. Somehow I had heard about a, a diet pills, so I asked her if she would take me to the doctor, and she did. And they prescribed amphetamines to me. So I'm 14 and I'm taking these amphetamines and I just developed a 20-year love affair with these these pills because <laughs> they, they did a lot for me. You know, I had a lot of energy. I wasn't that hungry. But eventually I still was able to eat with these pills, you know. So I always had this kind of um, like a 50-pound weight gain, you know. It would swing back and forth. I would I would be really strict and I would diet. And I, I tried every commercial diet that you can imagine and more than once. You know, I did Lindora probably four or five times. I did like Jenny Craig and Nutrisystem and Weight Watchers and I even had liposuction like I did everything that I could think of to control and manage my weight and nothing worked you know and the wages kept coming on and coming on and um I I, w- I went to Europe when I was about 18, and at this point I had dieted down before I went to Europe, and I ended up staying there, and um, one of my dreams was to be a model, and I was very thin at the point when I went there, and I signed up with this uh, very well-known modeling agency, and I, I thought I had arrived. This is my dream, you know, and so I, I was going to, I had a book, you know, created, and I was going to meet clients, and I was starting to get jobs, but something kept happening every time I got a job, you know, they have these fittings, so I would go to the first fitting, I'd go to the second fitting, and then I'd go to the final fitting, and I would be literally two sizes bigger. And they wouldn't know what to do, you know, and I had to, I lost jobs because of this. And my agency around that time, this was in the 80s, they, um, they were the first one that put together like a plus size division. So they uh, switched me over to that, to that that division. So I was a plus size model. I was one of the like first three. And I hated that. That was like, for me, I was so ashamed of it. And I, I was really um, popular with it. You know, they were flying me all around. I was making a ton of money. But I had a lot of shame because I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And I, I never told anybody at home, my friends or my family, that I was a plus-size model. They thought I was, you know, like taking Europe by storm. So I was, uh, <laughs> I was taking the candy aisle by storm, you know, really. And the baguette, you know, I knew the best places to go. So, um, you know, I was eating my way through Europe, and I was eating my way through relationships, and I was doing other things at this point, too. I also was, I'm an alcoholic as well, so I was going in that, on that path. Um, and just really, you know, living this very self-destructive lifestyle, I, I, I know now through inventory that I just had this self-loathing and this empty, bottomless pit of need, you know, that could never be filled with any human power. I always thought everything that I needed was out there, that it was somewhere else, that it was this person or this thing or that job or that success. And it never, once I got it, it was never enough, never, ever enough. And, you know, there was that relationship. So I came back to the States, and um, I started gaining weight by this point. And I kind of got to the point where I um, I just decided to, to give up trying to diet. I'd really done my last diet, and I, I put on about 100 pounds, probably 120 pounds. And I um, I remember my boyfriend at the time when I started gaining the weight, he would look at me and he would say, you know, you're like twice the size as when I met you. <laughs> What's going on here? I don't understand it, you know. And a lot of people didn't understand the eating, and I didn't understand it myself, but I just knew that I had to. And um, I remember very specifically thinking, like, as long as I had my food and a TV, that I would be okay. Like, I could get through life if I had those two things. And that's what I did for a long time. You know, I did get sober in another program. And, you know, um, I worked the steps in that program, but I still felt miserable. I was, I was, 
so out of control with my eating. I had gained another 50 pounds. <laughs> and I just, um, I felt, I got to this point where I, I wanted to die. And I was sober and I was doing, I was taking a lot of sober actions and, and doing a lot of things to improve my life. But I just could not get a handle on the food. And by the time I got to about four years of recovery in that program, I was ready to take a look at my food. And I, I had seen some people in that program um, have success in OA, so I'd heard about it, and I watched what they were doing. I made one outreach call to somebody, and I started sending him my food, but I just wasn't ready to be honest, you know, so I stopped that. And then I just got to the point where, um, I remember specifically, I, I thought that I wanted to, um, I didn't want to go on anymore. I didn't want to live. And I felt that, um, I felt like a monster. I felt like a monster in my own skin. I remember I had binged all weekend. There were, I got to the point where I only had one pair of pants that would fit me. And then by Monday, th- those pair of pants didn't fit me anymore. And I couldn't go to work. You know, I, like, had to call in sick. And uh, I heard somebody say, call in fat. You know, I had to call in fat. And I would do that. I would, <laughs> I would binge all weekend, and then I would be sick. And my health started really declining. I, um, I was on high blood pressure medication. I was on thyroid medication. And my doctor told me that he said I'm morbidly obese, which I couldn't believe. I was really shocked. You know, like, what do you mean? <laughs> that sounds so terrible. I just, I was in such denial. I couldn't take a look at myself. And then he wanted to put me on, um, he said I was pre-diabetic, and he wanted me to put, put me on diabetic medicine. And um, I had watched my dad um, get sick and pass away, and towards the end of his life he had diabetes, and I saw what he had gone through. And I didn't want to go through that. And I just... I guess I became willing, you know. I, I started coming to this program. I saw another friend of mine lose about 100 pounds in this program, and I was really inspired by watching his journey. So I came here, but I found it really challenging. <laughs> Overeaters Anonymous was not a place I felt comfortable at first, and I was surprised that be, by that because I felt so comfortable in a 12-step program. I thought I would just, like, fit right in. But I, I remember coming to my first meeting, and my best girlfriend, who is not a compulsive overeater or in any kind of a program. We went to um, Serenity Sunday together, and that was my first meeting. And I just remember the ease with which she talked to people. You know, we were at the meeting, and she, like, chit-chatted and had fun, and we left, and, and she was like, that was a great meeting. I loved it. And, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> you know, I hated it. Like, I just wanted to, like, run out the door. And thankfully, somebody had told me, you know, why don't you give it six meetings? You know, go for six meetings before you decide whether you think you qualify or not. And I'm so grateful that they said that to me because it took my very, like, sixth meeting before I really felt like I identified and I wanted to keep coming, you know. I had a lot of shame about about my eating. I remember um, when I would hear people in Overeaters Anonymous identify, um, <laughs> and they would say, I'm a compulsive overeater. I would always hear, I'm a repulsive overeater. <laughs> you know, that's like what I would hear. And it has nothing <laughs> It has nothing to do with you guys. It's how I was feeling about myself, you know. <laughs> but I just, I did not, I so didn't want to be a compulsive overeater. I just hated that thought, you know, except I am. And I, I have to live in the real world these days. Um, so, you know, I started coming to meetings, and um, I didn't get it right away. I, I started working with somebody, and uh, the first six months, I I was binging a lot, and 
she said, why don't you just try to make not binging your abstinence, you know, and try to get a little time in between your binges or in between your meals. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I couldn't stay abstinent. I would, I would get a couple of days and then I would binge or I would go to meetings and I would binge or I would binge before the meeting. And I did this for about six months, and I had actually kind of, my meetings had dwindled. I'd, I'd kind of given up hope on this. And uh, I remember telling somebody that I didn't think OA worked for me. And I'm very happy that she told me that it's not that OA works for you. You have to work for OA. And that was, that got my attention. You know, I, I, it woke me up, and I, I realized that I have not really been working the, a program so I, I came back, and I really had, like, another binge in me. I had this binge, and I remember being very depressed and sad, and um, I ran into my friend who has recovery in this program, and I told him my story. You know, I was crying, and he said, well, let's go to a meeting, and he took me to Serenity Sunday again, and my sponsor was at that meeting. She was the speaker, and I remember in, being in my chair. I had been crying all morning, so my eyes were just puffy, and I was sitting there, and I was listening, and... I was able to hear the message from her. You know, I'm sure other people carried the message and said these things, but for some reason that day I was ready to hear it. And I heard her talking about alcoholic foods and how, you know, um, we had this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And when you take in these alcoholic foods, you have no control over how much you might eat of them. I mean, well, I, I, she said this about herself, and I realize that's true. When I eat things that have sugar in them, I have no control over how much I'm going to eat, you know. And a light bulb just kind of went on for me. And uh, I went up to her after the meeting, and I asked her for her phone number, which she gave to me. And I called her that night. I was really, I had that gift of desperation, which you hear about in the rooms, and I'm so grateful that I had it that day because, you know, when I would come to meetings before, I would hear people that had some time sharing that they hadn't had sugar or flour in 10 years, 20 years, 28 years, Um, and I just, first of all, I didn't believe them. I thought maybe they were lying, or I thought if it was true, how sad for them, you know, and I was was really 100% sure that would never be me, that I would never have seen from those things. And when I found myself calling my sponsor, I realized I was willing to do whatever it took, you know. Um, I met with her, and, well, before we met, I asked her if she would sponsor me right away that night. And she didn't say yes right away. (laughs) She asked me if I was willing to go to any lengths, and I said yes. And she said, well, why don't you write about it? So I wrote about it, and she said, and then call me. So then I called her in 30 minutes, and I, like, read it to her, you know. (laughs) And then she asked me to do some more writing on on some other things, and I wrote about it, and I called her back. And we began working together, and I'm so grateful for her. Her name is Shelly, and we've been um, on this journey together. You know, we met, and she helped me develop my abstinence and a food plan. And for me, my abstinence is three meals a day, two optional snacks, and I refrain from eating um, sugar and white flour and cheese. Um, and I also refrain from alcohol and nicotine. So um, that, that's my abstinence. And she actually did something that was really interesting. She had me um, on a piece of paper. She wrote a circle. And she wrote my abstinence. And then everything outside of this was, you know, breaking the abstinence. And I signed it. So I made a contract. This is my abstinence. And I'm not breaking it. And I've been on this incredible journey ever since then, you know. Um, I, I do a 10-step every night, and in my 10-step, I commit my food to her. And that I can't believe that I actually do this because I was so resistant. <laughs> you know, it felt a little bit like a... I couldn't believe... Like, I work in the food industry. I'm around food all day long, and we get these really lavish meals for staff meals. And 
Um, it's different every day. So I'm like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to want tomorrow. How can I commit something today for tomorrow? And I, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, I've been doing it. And I realize now that when I commit my food beforehand and I know what I'm having, I feel safe in that structure. The structure kind of protects me from myself, basically. Um, and I need that, you know. And I work in the food industry, and I've actually had some challenges with my job because of my abstinence. You know, I'm a, an event planner, and I also design menus for clients. And, um, you know, we've, we've opened a new restaurant, and they do this uh, research and design, the R&D for the restaurant, where we have to have food tastings, and all of us need to taste the food and give our opinions, and I'm not able to, to do that. So I had a conflict with our executive chef, and he um, said one time, he said, I demand that you eat this food. And I was like, I couldn't believe that I was hearing this, but, you know, I, I said that I'm not able to. And then he complained to my boss, and he said, how is she going to sell our food if she doesn't know what it tastes like, you know? Um, so I realized at that point that I had to make a decision, like, what is more important to me, you know, my abstinence or the job? And I went to my boss, and I asked if I could talk to her, and I went into her office, and I told her what I'm doing here, and you know, that I'm not going to be able to try the food. And if that's not okay, I understand that this is, you know, important to me. And I told her that I have this, you know, I told her what I was doing. And she ended up being very supportive of me being in this program and what I was doing. And it worked out. I don't have to eat the food. I have people describe it to me, the taste and the flavors. And I'm able to repeat that to my clients. And, and everything has worked out. But I, I really felt like that was a big turning point for me where I was willing I was willing to leave the job if it didn't if it wasn't okay with her. And um, you know, I've been working the steps and I've been um, working with newer people and, and it's just such a, an amazing process. You know, I'm the type of person who never felt a part of anything. I, I was always terrified of other people and I I worked the steps in my other program, but I didn't really have this connection with my higher power. And now that I put down the food, I feel like the food is what was always blocking me from my higher power. I may have been physically sober from one substance, but I had replaced it with food. That was still a substance that was, you know, um, blocking me from my conscious connection with my higher power. And I'm so grateful that I have that today. You know, today I wake up in the morning and I'm able to to pray and really feel my prayers. I'm able to... um, to feel like God is with me, you know. I was really nervous about about speaking today because I have this fear of people, and I, I just always have this fear that I'm going to like freeze and forget my own name or something, you know. And and I just had this thought come to me that it's not about you at all, you know. It's about what this program has done for you, what um, your higher power has done for you and through you and your sponsor. It has nothing to do with me. Like I can't take credit for any of this, and I'm so grateful that I know that today, you know. So I've been working the steps with her, and um, my life has gotten so much better. I feel like I've been transformed by this program. I'm not the same person that I was when I came in, you know, in 2013. Today I have this um, I have this curiosity about life that I never had before. I have this curiosity about other people. I realized that I have been so self-centered my entire life that I never really cared what other people were thinking or doing. <laughs> I really didn't unless it had something pertained to me. Like, I only cared what you were thinking unless, if it was something about me, you know, or I was worried about you if, you know, you were mad at me or something. And I just have this, I've had what I believe is a spiritual awakening. I feel like a completely different person, you know. I 
cared about other people. Um, my boss came to me uh, I, before I got before I got abstinent. She came to me and mentioned one of our coworkers, and I didn't know who she was talking about. And she said, "You know, you've worked with this person for two years, and you don't know their name." <laughs> and it was true. Like I, I was just like in my own head the whole time, and it's embarrassing <laughs> to admit this. But I don't live like that anymore. You know, today I I have friends at work, and I am of service in my my groups, and I. I just um, I feel this connection to to the world that I never felt before. I always kind of felt like there was something separating me from everyone outside of um, outside of me. But I felt like the world like I kind of felt like this there was like a veil or a, a window. And if you go now during the holidays, you'll see a lot of the department stores have these beautiful Christmas displays set up. And when I was younger, I used to go up to the window and kind of press my nose on the window and look at all the beautiful like shiny lights inside. And that's how I felt about life. Like, I always felt like that was the world, and this was me. And I was always kind of, like, apart from it. I couldn't quite get in there with everybody else. And that's been lifted for me. I don't feel that anymore. You know, I feel a part of the world. I feel a part of life. And um, I'm just really grateful to be abstinent. I'm going to take some questions. Do you have any? Thanks. The question was, why did I put cheese in my abstinence when it's a protein? Um, for me, it, it wasn't a protein. <laughs> I thought it, it was a binge food for me. You know, I found myself getting kind of sneaky about it. I would commit a salad to my sponsor, and, uh, you know, in this restaurant, we could choose our food, so I would pick out all the cheese and, like, one leaf of lettuce. You know, that was, <laughs> that was my salad. And <laughs> so I just, I was getting sneaky with it, so I found that I had to come clean to my sponsor about it and, and talk. Um, I did, early on, I did a food history, and I, I wrote down the way I ate and the things that I binged on, and then I made a list of all my binge foods or all the foods that caught my attention or I was obsessing about and cheese was on that list you know it was we looked for the common ingredients of all these foods and the common ingredients were sugar flour cheese and peanuts for some reason for me but (laughs) yes I hope that answers your question how do I balance having a lot of commitments and two programs and sponsorship um I'm never the type of person that had balance in my life, so I tend to um, go extreme in a lot of different areas. And initially, when I first got abstinent, I was going to, like, four meetings and taking commitments and doing a lot in both programs. Um, And I ended up going to, like, ten meetings a week, which was a little too much for me because I have a very demanding job, too. So now I go to three meetings in both programs. I have a sponsee in both programs, one in each program. And I have two sponsors. And I just, um, I find it really important to me to keep, to try to keep a balance um, between both of them. I mean, sometimes you end up doing more commitments or things come up in one program more than the other. But I I try to keep it as balanced as I can. I make a conscious decision to do that. Sure. Do I have a daily routine that keeps me connected? I do. Um, I'm not always perfect at this, but I... um, I'm the type of person who wakes up in the morning and I always, my first thought is, I can't do this day. That's like literally my first thought. I wake up, I open my eyes, I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, I'm not going to work, I'm staying in bed. <laughs> like, that's it. So I have to get connected to my higher power right away, you know. And that's like step one, two, and three right in my bed, you know. I'm just like, I can't, God can, let him. So that's what I do right away. Like, I, I pray when I open my eyes. 
and then I get up and I have to like walk my dog right away. So I, I, I do a little prayer like when I'm walking my dog and I try to kind of connect to nature. I look at the trees and the grass and the flowers and it's kind of corny, but I never noticed that stuff before. I was always so in my head and now I'm really appreciating the beauty of the flowers and the roses and the, the weather and the cheese, the, the, um, the trees changing the cheese right up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still obsessed with the cheese. You know, I cried when I had to put cheese on my ass. I did. I still miss it, and I actually tried to put it back on my food plan, and my sponsor didn't go for it, but I I tried. So, yeah, I try to notice my surroundings and be present, and then I come back, and I have, um, thank you, I have some prayers that I say. I, um, I read page 86 to 87 in the big book, and I, I think about the day ahead. You know, I try. Sometimes if I have any fears, I write out my fears. You know, I write a God letter in the morning, and sometimes I'll talk about that in my God letter. I'll, you know, I just, I've learned, and this is very new for me, because I've, I really was resistant to writing. But um, people say God is in the pen or in the pencil, and I've found that to be true because, you know, sometimes I'll just start writing and think amazing things will come up, and I'll just say, dear God, I'm nervous because, and then something completely different will come up for me that I wasn't aware of, especially when I think I know everything about myself. I realize I know so little, you know. So I do the dear God letter in the morning, and um, I read some from the big book, and then I have some, you know, daily reflections that I read. Certainly, I was, um, I had fear of people, and how did I overcome it? I have not completely overcome that. I still feel fear at times. But what I've learned from from the steps is that, um, you know, I did a lot of inventories. And I I found a way to look at people and realize how I could be like them. You know, because a lot of times I was afraid of somebody because I was thinking that they were judging me or I was, it was always about me, me, me. So I've been learning to get myself out of the equation. But also I've just found a way to um, to relate to other people and realize that we're, dif- that we're not so different. Even people that I have a resentment towards, you know, I can look at them and I could see how maybe given the same circumstances I would make the same choices that they did. And it just puts me on a more common ground with other people and that's really helped me a lot. What is my relationship with steps two and three and uh, the God from my childhood and now? Um, the God from my childhood was scary to me, you know, and um, through working the steps, especially in this program, I realized, you know, how can I turn my will and my life over to something that I'm afraid of? So I had to come up with a new, a new God, and uh, that took a lot for me. I had to do a lot of writing on it, a lot of... Um, a lot of discovery, a lot of self-discovery. You know, I, um, I had, I had this idea that that God was this entity that I, I believed in God, but I didn't believe that God cared about me. And um, I, I found now through working the steps that um, just being willing to, um, I, I think willingness was the most important thing. You know, being willing to not know and being willing to. Um, to trust that my that I'm being taken care of because I've seen so much evidence of it. I've seen God working in the lives of so many people that I know and in myself. And when I think about that and I look at it, I, I, I know there's a God. Thank you. What is the hardest thing that I've had to do in program? Well, I think for me in, um, in Overeaters Anonymous, because I'm so present now, I'm really seeing myself... Um, so much with so much more clarity than I ever have before and when I worked step six and seven all of my di- my character defects that came up were just glaring you know and 
I, I, I believe God doesn't give you more than you can handle. So I, I don't think I saw that in my earlier inventory <laughs> for protection. But now I'm just really seeing who I am and what I am and, and um, what I've done in the past. And I, I, I've learned this level of self uh, um I've learned how self-obsessed I was, and I've learned um, self-acceptance. You know, like I believe that I can't change unless I accept who I was before. You know, unless I really see who I was before, I can't change. So I, I believe that that's been one of the hardest things I've had to face. It's just me, like looking at me um, clearly, and and then making the changes to, to live differently now. How do I maintain my abstinence? Uh, do I weigh and measure my food? I've learned, um, I was very resistant to weighing and measuring, and at first I had decided I would not do that at all. And it, <laughs> like everything else, sorry, I have some allergies, but um, I do weigh and measure certain things, not everything. I usually measure the foods that I feel a little shaky with, you know. Um, I do measure my cereal in the morning. I measure um, any kind of, like, salad dressings or oils. I measure any kind of, like, a brown rice or quinoa or any kind of a grain that I would put in my my meal um, I don't really measure like chicken or fish or anything like that I kind of eyeball it but if I feel like I'm in a shaky place in my program then I will measure everything I do weigh myself um, I weigh myself every two weeks and the vanity of it it's kind of funny when I was first losing weight I was so excited about the weight loss I wanted to know every day like did it change did it change you know so I really also had to work my program and follow my commitment to my sponsor that I would only weigh myself every two weeks, you know, and that's what I've been doing. What do I do when I've had a hard day and I want something to take the edge off? <laughs> I'm losing all my options, aren't I? Um, <laughs> you know, um, I'm learning that it's not out there, you know, and that's been one of the most difficult things for me. I've acted out in a lot of different areas, you know. I've found myself, I, I don't, I had some financial problems, so I'm not able to go shopping, but I think I would go shopping if I could. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll go to, like, CVS and just like go crazy, you know, one day. But um, that was something I used to do early on. Um, I also would obsess obsessively watch TV sometimes, like that was one of my outlets, or reading still. But today, I don't really have that that feeling. You know, I make outreach calls when I'm feeling a little bit um, like I need to take the edge off. I'll call my sponsor. I'll call program friends. I will um, do a 10-step and just like write it out because it's usually a resentment or something that's kind of eating at me. Um, that I'm not aware of and things start coming up. So I've really been learning that I have tools to work. I don't have to um, be a slave to my emotions anymore. And that was one of the greatest gifts. Uh, we have tools in this program, you know. I, I can call my sponsor. I can call friends. I, I don't have to go through it alone. And I was always such a loner. I thought I, I needed to do everything alone. How do I deal with the attention that I get from significant weight loss? Um, it's been interesting, you know, I've had people, <laughs> just maybe two days ago, one of my neighbors came up to me, and I walk my dog every morning, and he's a, an elderly gentleman that stands outside waiting for a taxi, and I was walking by him, and he said, you know, he's like, you lost a lot of weight, <laughs> and I said, yes, I have, he's like, you were a very heavy woman, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, thank you, and, uh, <laughs> 
I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just, it, it's been kind of fun. You know, even my best friend, I hadn't seen her in a while, and I went to meet her for lunch, and I walked right up to her. Like, we were looking at each other, and I walked right up to her, and she didn't see me until I was, like, like 10 feet in front of her. She just didn't recognize me. So it's been an interesting process. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I have some fears that come up because my weight was also a protection. It kind of kept everybody at arm's length, and... Now I can't use that as an excuse. I used to use my weight as an excuse to not participate in things, you know. I would not go to, I never went to the beach. I never went to swimming pools. I never went to anything that I had to wear a dress or show my arms or any kind of formal event. And I now I don't have that kind of excuse not to participate in everyday life events. And it's been interesting, but I'm enjoying it. I think I'm done. Thank you. <laughs>